Turn your Bibles with me once again to the book of Jude. Jude, we're going to focus on, the, on, on seven or eight verses today in Jude. We're going to focus on Jude chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 4 to verse 11. But before we get into the message this morning, I want to start by asking a simple question. How important is it for you, and this is a rhetorical question, how important is it for you to personally know the truth? How important is it for you to know truth? Specifically, how important is it for you to know truth from God's perspective? Because here's the thing, you know, we can say, well, it's up to each of us to determine what truth is. But the problem is, if, if it's up to each of us to determine what truth is, then truth is going to have many faces. But if truth has many faces, then it's no longer truth. Truth can only be defined by one. And it is his perspective that we all must follow. And the Bible makes it clear to us that the only perspective that is right, the only perspective that is just, that is perfect, is God's perspective. So in, in knowing truth and in being able to walk in truth, we must make sure that we are looking at truth from God's point of view. I want you to think of truth this morning as being like a missile. Now, if you're familiar with missiles or the way that they work, you understand that most precision weapons require a specific target in order to minimize collateral damage and increase lethality against intended targets. Um, you know, those in the military will tell you that when they fire a missile, they're not just expecting to just have like a widespread um, 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 hit. You know, there, there's some, there's some precision, precision weapons that, that are fired and it's meant, to, it's meant to inflict as much damage as possible. But then there are certain, there are certain weapons that, that, are, that are created to, to focus on a specific target. And it requires um, a lot of uh, science behind making sure that you get the right um, the right coordinates to make sure that that missile does not go where it's not supposed to go. Um, you know, many times we hear in the news where they'll say, well, another, you know, terrorist leader was taken out and, and they'll talk about the way they did so and the fact that they were able to do so with as little collateral damage as possible. Because the idea was we have a focus, we have a specific target and that's who we're going after. So whenever missiles are fired, there's this, there's this necessity for there to be um, as much accuracy in the, determining the target of this missile. Now, I want you, like I said, to compare a missile to truth. When we're talking about um, the, the seriousness of, of errant truth or the errant doctrine or, or basically distorted teaching, the seriousness of distorted teaching can be compared to a missile that, think about this, aimed a mere one degree off target. The difference seems slight and it may seem neg negligible to you and I, what's one degree off the target? But here's the thing, as that missile increasingly reaches its target, that one degree uh, distortion in the initial launch is going to actually be so much, much bigger when it reaches the intended target. Because what's going to happen is, is that the target it was meant to reach, it's not going to reach. And so many times when, there is, when, when, when a missile is fired and you hear the military talk about the fact that maybe it did not hit its target or that there was collateral damage that was not intended, it's always because something happened along the way where when that missile was initially launched, it was off target. So it is with false doctrine. At first, false doctrine can seem to be a tolerable mistake, a little error. But with all er as with all errors, the effects compound over time until they become so serious that they cannot be corrected. There are many who have strayed completely from Christ because 
because a, a, a doctrine or, 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 or an interpretation of doctrine that they initially heard that may not have seemed harmful at the time they heard it has metastasized or has grown into something that's, that's much more influential and has taken them completely off course of what Christ intends for us. And this is what we've been focusing on as we've looked through Jude, um, as we see Jude's letter to the church, warning believers to be very careful about the presence of false doctrine among them and how damaging and destructive it can be to their walk with Christ. And so I want us to focus on verse 4 of Jude chapter 1. If you read with me this morning, I'm reading from the NIV translations. Jude writes, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and to perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies. They reject authority and they heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, he did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but simply said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people slander whatever they do not understand, and the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them, Jude writes, for they have taken the way of Cain, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. So in the verses we just read, we see the Apostle Jude describe a group of individuals that he said secretly worked their way into the body of believers with the intent of distracting, um, um, distorting, um, misdirecting the people of God so that they cannot walk in the will of God. And he describes these individuals as essentially perverters of God's grace. And he paints for us a picture of what it looks like to be one who is described as a perverter of grace. He describes several characteristics that we find in these individuals. Number one, individuals that desired sin under the guise of freedom. They saw freedom in Christ as a license to live in unrepentant sin. Jude describes them as people who not only desire sin under the guise of freedom, but they believe that perversion equals progress. That the more perverted they become, in their minds, the more progress they're making, the more, the, more, the more enlightened they're becoming. He described them as people who also set themselves up as their own authority in place of God. He describes them as people who question God's resolve to judge sin. In other words, they're saying, well, I thought God was supposed to judge sin. Why is he not judging me now? It's kind of like somebody who mocks the coming, coming judgment and, and acts as if it's never going to happen. It's in a similar way, there are people who, 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 who will say, and even scripture talks about this, where they'll say, well, I thought you said that, that Christ is coming back. When is he going to come back? You've been waiting for him to come back all this, all this while. Is he ever going to come back? The reality, friends, is he is coming back. And, but there are those who, who, who mock the idea that, that, that God is willing to resolve, or willing to judge sin, and then, of course, 
he says that ultimately their goal is to deny truth, and in denying truth, they deny Christ. And, and you know, again, he's talking about people who've worked their way into the church, and, and as, as, he, as, as is to be expected, the Bible says that bad company corrupts what? Good morals. Everybody repeat with me. Bad company corrupts good morals. Here's the reality. If, you, if, if, if you're not associated with people who are not aligned with our beliefs, it is our beliefs that will change, not theirs. When we allow people to have influence in our lives who do not know Christ, who do not walk with Christ, and we allow them to speak into our lives, then before long we begin to think the way they think and we begin to live the way they think. So this idea is, from Jude is this, that, if, that, that you've allowed these individuals to come into your midst they are, they, are, they are presenting truth that is distorted, that is not consistent with who Christ is. And because they are, they are peddling this, this, this distortion of truth, you're in, at risk, if not already, following after their example. So it's this idea that, that you and I are becoming, that you and I can become like those we allow to influence us away from Christ. But can I tell you this morning, the point we're going to make today is this, that, that from God's point of view, simply professing to know the Lord is not enough. It is not enough to simply profess with your mouth that you know him. If you're not willing to live for him, if you're not willing to follow him, the Bible makes it clear to us that faith without works is what? Everybody say dead. Faith without works, in other words, it means that it, it, when, when, when you only rely on what you simply say, but you're not allowing what you profess to, 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 to be expressed in a changed life, then it means nothing. And this is really the point I'm trying to make, that professing faith in Christ as Lord means nothing to you and I unless we're willing to affirm that profession by a godly lifestyle. So last week we talked about, about how, we, how, we, um, how we, we, we guard our faith, how we preserve our faith, how we protect our faith. As Jude says, that you and I are, are, are individuals who have been entrusted uh, with, with, this, with this message of, 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 of grace that God has extended to the world. But today I want to focus on how we affirm truth. And, and again, that by how we live our lives. And there's three things I want to share with you this morning that, 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 that stick to my mind as I, as, I, as, as I was studying the scriptures that we read just a moment ago. What it means to affirm truth. How do we back up our professional faith by the way that we live? Number one, I'll give you this morning is this. We affirm our faith by living our lives as an instrument for God's glory and purpose. There are two things that I believe are very important for every one of us. And it is not a one-time thing, but it's an everyday thing. That we see ourselves as belonging to God, number one. But number two, that we see our lives as existing for His pleasure. God didn't just create you and I and plop us, plop us into this world to just leave us to just fend for ourselves and to make a life as we see fit. He created us for Himself. He created us to bring Him pleasure. And if we do not begin to see ourselves as existing for Him, if we don't see ourselves as existing for His pleasure, friends, then it will be impossible for us to truly live for Him the way we're supposed to. I love what Scripture says, that I am not my own. I was bought with a precious price. And so I don't have any claim of ownership to dictate the direction of my own life. That when I chose to follow Jesus Christ, I was not simply saying, save me from hell, but I was saying, take over my life. And you tell me how to live. You, you direct me how you want me to go. You, make me, you, you, you work in me the work you want to accomplish. Use me to do what you want to do. And so in a sense, it's this idea that we do not belong to ourselves any longer. We are not our own. We belong to Him. So if we belong to Him, then we must realize that our lives must be lived for His pleasure. I love what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says. Peter writes, but you are a chosen people. Everybody say chosen. Peter says, you and I, we are a chosen people. 
We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. God's special possession. Why? Why? Why, why would God choose us? Why would God make us his own? This is why he says that you may declare the praises of him. Of who? Of who? The praises of God, not the praises of yourself, not the praises of your neighbor, not the praises of society or of culture. Peter says that we are chosen. We've been made a royal priesthood. We've, been, we've become God's possession. Why? So that we may declare his praises. So everywhere I go, no matter whom I encounter, what they, what they need to see in me more than anything is, is the transformation that a relationship with Christ has brought about in my life. They're not looking for religion. They don't need religion, but what they need is relationship. But, 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 but we would not be motivated to live as instruments for God's glory if we don't see ourselves as instruments for God's glory. Peter continues by saying, we've been called to declare the praise of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. How many of you will raise your hand and say, Pastor John, I echo the fact that I am grateful that God took me out of darkness. He took me out of a life of sin and he brought me into a life of righteousness and holiness. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. But God has changed my life. Who, who, how many of you will testify with me this morning? God has made a difference in our lives. And it is a difference that is worth sharing. It is a difference that is worth showing. But again... If we are to affirm our faith, if, if we are to, to back up our profession with a life that, that, that demonstrates the commitment we've made to Christ, then we must see ourselves and live our lives as instruments for His glory and for His purpose. And here's the second thing. We must let pleasing Christ be our motivation for everything that we do. Romans 6 verse 13, Paul says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. But rather, he says, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Notice that Paul only provides us with two options. There is no third option. There is no fourth option. Paul says it's either you are presenting yourself to be an instrument for righteousness or you're presenting yourself to be an instrument for wickedness. And he says to us, choose. And as it were, as, 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 with, as, with, as, with, as with everything God does, where he, where he invites us to choose life, he tells us, I give you life and death, but choose life. I want you to choose life. The scripture says to us that we have a choice. Every single day we have a choice to offer ourselves as instruments of wickedness or as instruments of righteousness. And the choice is up to us what we're going to use our lives for. Are we going to live for God's purpose or are we going to live for ours? There are too many believers who are not motivated by, they're motivated by everything but pleasing Christ. And it is important that we all be willing to check our own hearts and make sure that every decision, every choice we're making, especially specifically choices when it comes to following God's will or not following His will, that we truly are doing, we're motivated by a desire to please Christ because it's either we please Christ or we are not pleasing Christ. There is no way you can please Him and please self as well. There's no way you can please him and please the flesh. There's no way you can please him and please the world. And I'm not suggesting here this morning that because you please Christ, it means that you are deprived, that you, you lose out of joys and pleasures and satisfaction. Here's the thing, that there's, there's a pleasure and satisfaction that comes from walking with Christ. Why? Because, because Christ, God created you and I to, to enjoy good things, but again, he's provided parameters for us to do so. 
And we cannot use the pursuit of pleasure to, as, as an excuse to deny, to deny following Christ or, or His Lordship in our lives. We need to let pleasing Christ be our motivation for everything we do. This is part of what Judah is trying to get across to the believers. He was saying to them, you don't realize that by allowing these individuals to come amongst you and to, and to fill your heart with all of this untruth or, or, or distorted information about Christ or about God, that, that, that what it's actually doing is it's, it's actually taking you away from a motivation to please Christ. And now you're focused on pleasing yourself. You're focused on pleasing the flesh. And, and, and it is a slippery slope, friends. And it is, a, honestly, can I tell you, it is, a, it is a very fine line. And it can be easy for us if we're not in tune with the Holy Spirit to cross that line and not even know it. Because again, it's not about what may seem right to us, but it's about making sure that what we're doing is pleasing to God. My wife always refers you know, to the fact that one of her favorite scriptures, you know, basically Paul asked the question, am I to please Christ or am I to please God? If I'm trying to please Christ and I'm not, I'm, if I'm trying to please people, then I'm not pleasing Christ. The question you need to be answering every single day is, am I pleasing Christ in the way that I live? Am I pleasing Christ in what I say, in what I do, in how I respond to the things that happen to me or around me? Do not offer yourself as instruments of sin. Again, see yourself as an instrument that God would use to accomplish His work for His pleasure, for His glory. But also be committed to making sure that you offer yourself to Him as an instrument that He would use to accomplish His work in this world today. And then here's the last point. We need to let our fear of God's judgment against sin hold us accountable. There's a reason why Jude takes the believers back on memory lane. Because some people may say, well, what was the point of going through kind of all of that rant about what happened with the people of Israel, what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened with the angels that rebelled against God. And there's a reason why Jude brings all of this up because he wants them to understand, friends. You know, sometimes, again, we can have this idea in our minds that because we're in Christ, that it means that we are free, we are protected from the consequence of sin. And that because in our minds we think we're protected from the consequence of sin, that we can live however we please. No, friends. Our God, the God we call Abba Father, is a holy God. He is a just God. He's a righteous God. And, and His righteousness requires that sin be dealt with. God will not look the other way, friends. God will not turn, the, God will not turn aside to act as if it does not exist or it's not happening. God will deal with sin. And, and, and when we're, even, even when we're walking with Christ and we're choosing to walk in sin, friends, listen, there is judgment that is coming when we, do not, when we do not repent of sin. There's consequences that we will experience if we do not repent of sin. We can't simply say to ourselves, well, because, because I'm, a, I'm a follower of Christ, because I'm in Christ, then I can live in, in, in unrepentant sin and expect that God will keep the consequence from happening in my life. No! God's desire is that you and I recognize that, 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 that he, because he's a righteous God, he always holds sin accountable and that what that does is he keeps us in our, he keeps in our mind that there is no benefit to sin, that there is, there is no lasting gain to sin. Again, in bringing judgment, is it because God takes pleasure? No, the Bible says it is God's will that no one perish. But, be, but we cannot suggest that because God doesn't want anyone to perish, that somehow we can live in sin and that somehow God will not be, God, God is not, God will, God will not be obligated to deal with sin in our lives. He asks us to repent. Listen to what Colossians 3 verse 5 and 6 says. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Are you listening to this? He says, he's not, he's not talking, he's not, he's not, He's not saying that it's God's good. He's saying to you and I, we need to put to death the things in us that we know do not belong to those who are in Christ. He says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. 
He, he lists them, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Note what he says in verse 6, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Everybody say coming. When you hear that word coming, it tells you that God has set it up that, that, that sin will always be judged. Now, does it mean that God does not forgive? God does forgive. But when we walk in a repentant sin, friends, sin is coming. I mean, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. This is why over and over you see in the New Testament warnings about, 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 about not being like those in the world, about, about turning your back to, to sin and, and to unrighteousness with the characteristics of the flesh. Why? Because, because God has set it up that judgment is going to come to those who are walking in sin. And God is warning us. And this is why I believe Jude said this, because he wanted them to realize, guys, take, take seriously the presence of, of distorted teaching among you, because what it will do is it will, it will take you off, off course from God's will for your life. And when you begin to walk in sin, judgment is at the door. You look in the Old Testament, how many times God would send prophet after prophet to warn the people of Israel. God is a patient God, friends. And we see over and over he would send prophet after prophet to warn the people of Israel, repent, 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 turn from your wickedness. And they would not, they would not. And when judgment came, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a sad thing to watch. But when judgment came, you, you, it, it was one of those situations where you couldn't help but say, well, you asked for it. Because God warned. And, and, and the, the God of the Old Testament is not different from the God of today. He's still the same God. And in as much as he's invited you and I into a relationship with him, and, and it's a relationship that, glory to God, is changing our lives and it's helping us to become less and less like we were before we came to Christ and more and more like Christ. But the reality is, is that there are still things in our lives that God wants to deal with and work, work, work on. And, and there is no excuse to allow sin to go unchecked in our lives. Why? Because judgment is coming. So can I tell you this? There is always that fear in my mind of, 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 of being held accountable. And so what it does is it helps me to stay on the straight and narrow. Again, it's not about performance. It's not about trying to just simply do what I can do to avert God's, God's judgment. But it's about recognizing that God will always judge sin. He will always judge sin. And because I know he would judge sin, then sin should not be a part of my life. I separate myself from it as much as possible. I distance myself from it as much as possible. Why? Because I do not want to face the judgment that will come because of sin. God's desire is that you and I walk free from the power of sin. He desires that you and I walk, that our lives are an expression of the transformation that only he can bring through a relationship with Christ. But friends, if we are not willing to back our profession with a lifestyle that is truly committed to him, friends, then our, our words are empty words. And there are way too many believers today who are, who are, who, who, who they, they talk a good talk. I mean, they, they can quote scriptures for you, they can quote scriptures for you, and, 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 and on the surface, sound like they, they know what they're doing, but deep down in, in their heart, they don't. They're not walking with the Lord. How many times did Jesus say, you know, in, in sharing parable after parable, that there are going to be those who will say, Lord, I did this and that and that in your name. No, he's talking to believers. I did this, this and that in your name. And what is he going to say to them? I do not know you. Because, 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 because what happens is we've allowed sin to get in the way. I don't know about you, but every single day my prayer is, Lord, help me today as I start this day. Help me today to not do or say or act in a way that, that's going to displease you. And if I do, God... Bring, bring, it to, bring it to my awareness, Lord, so that I can make it right. 
Because I, 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 don't, I, don't, want, I don't want to have to deal with the consequence of, of, of unrepented sin. I, I told you this several weeks ago, we're doing a different series about a pastor I heard who, who shared that when, when, whenever he's found himself in a, in a, in a place of, of temptation, and he always remembers the consequences of what could happen if he gives in. And that for that, that for him, that, that the awareness of, of, of the, the consequence of sin keeps him in check because he re- recognizes that he cannot afford to pay what sin is going to cost him. There are many who are blindly today walking in sin and it's because they don't have an awareness of what sin is going to cost them. You and I have the benefit of God's word in reminding us that sin is costly. And because sin is costly, we have a choice to make to not allow sin to take root in our lives so that we experience God's judgment. Again, Paul says, put to death whatever belongs to your sinful nature. Why? Because the wrath of God is coming on these. My prayer for every one of us is that every single day, no matter where we are, who we're with or what we're doing, that as we're committed to living for Christ, that God is not only drawing us near to him, but that God is also helping us to live for him. So that when people see us, they see the grace of God at work in our lives to empower us to live for God. Again, it's not that we're perfect. We're not striving to be perfect. And, and, and listen to me, brothers and sisters. I'm not saying to you that, that God has a checklist and that every time you mess up, he's waiting to, he's waiting to knock you upside the head because you, 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 you've messed up. That's not what God is about. But what God is saying to you and I is this. Don't just, if, you, if you're going to profess that you know me, if you're going to profess that you, you follow me, then don't just, don't just let it be what you say, but allow me to change you. Allow me to change your life. Allow me to change your mind. Allow me to change your perspective. And how do we do that? By making sure that our lives are aligned with the truth. For Jude, what was going on here was serious. Because he knew that, that what, may, what, what may have seemed insignificant to some could be, could be eternally significant for many. And he was not willing to allow many of these believers to be led astray. Why? Because they took for granted the presence of distorted truth amongst them. In the times that we live in, friends, uh, there's a lot of distorted truth that's being, being shared. I remember, uh, I'm going to close with this thought. I remember we had a meeting this past Wednesday with the pastors and we were talking about some of the, some of the there was, a, there was a, this research that just came out by the Barner Group. And they were talking about over the last two years plus, some of the changes in theology amongst believers. Um, for example, one of the, a few of the ones that alarmed me the most were um, th- that, that apparently there, there are more than previously those who claim to be Christians who now believe um, that there are many ways to God through different religions. That there are many who believe that the Holy Spirit is a force, not a person. That there are many who believe that that, 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 that God, that, 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 that God, Jesus, that the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit are, are, are three, are three, are, are on different, different levels of, of, of importance or, or, or seniority. That, that God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit are, are not equal to God, the Father. Distortions in the scriptures. And, and it's because, what's happening is because the observation is that many believers are, are straying from the truth. They're allowing the world, they're allowing other influences to, to, to shape what they believe about God's word. And they're not themselves going to the word and making sure that the Holy Spirit is teaching them what the word says. I'm grateful that, that you're not having, that the only, I'm, I'm grateful that you're not only hearing the word when you come here. Or when you go to a class. As important as these settings are, I'm grateful that this, this is not the only place where you hear the word. But that in your own personal life at home, you know, wherever you are, that, that you have access to the Word. 
Take advantage of the opportunities that God has set before you because you realize that there are people in other parts of the world that don't have the, the blessings and b- benefits that we enjoy. Be- because their lives are on a constant threat. We, we are a privileged people because God has put us in an environment where we have the freedom to, to not only know truth but allow that truth to change our lives and then become champions of that truth in a world that needs to know that truth. Our, our nation is in desperate need of God. And, and if we as the church are not willing to ourselves allow the truth to change our lives, then how can we change the world? How, how, how can we change our nation? It, it has to start with us. We, we, mu- we must go beyond just simply saying that we're believers. We must make sure that our lives are lining up with God's word. Amen? And as we do so, I believe with all my heart that God will enable us to be who he's called us to be. So again, on our way to heaven, I challenge you, live every moment for God's glory and purpose. Let pleasing Christ be your motivation every single day. And most importantly, let the fear of judgment against sin provide accountability to you. Let it, let it keep you on the straight and narrow, knowing that God is a righteous God and he will judge sin. And knowing that he will judge sin, we choose not to hold on to sin, but we, need, we choose to relinquish sin and we choose to walk away from it. I want to invite everyone to bow your hands with me this morning as we pray. God in heaven, I come before your throne this morning and I just want to say thank you. Um, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for your Holy Spirit, Father, reminding us over and over again. Lord, not only in the scriptures we've read today, but but every time we open the the word and we read and we study, we meditate on the word, reminding us, Lord, that, that it is truth that brings freedom. And freedom, Father, can only be found in knowing Christ. But it's not enough for us to simply profess to know Christ, to tell people that we know Jesus. Lord, are we truly willing to allow our lives to be changed by the profession of faith that we've, we, 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 we attest to God? God, may it never be said of any one of us here today that though we claim to know you, God, that you would ever say of us, you do not know us. May it never be said of us, Lord, that we are, we are so distant from you, God, because because we relied simply on just, on just making a profession or, or simply just confessing that, that Christ is Lord, but we are truly not, we're not willing to, to live for him. God, help us, Lord, to affirm our faith by allowing our faith to shape our lifestyle. And God, we cannot do this by ourselves. We need your Holy Spirit to help us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are available to help us, to lead us, to guide us, to strengthen us. Thank you. Thank you that you're that constant companion to help us to walk in the will and the purpose and plan of, of God. God, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to recognize that we are, we are yours. We belong to you. We've been set apart, Father, to know you. God, that, Lord, our lives will bring pleasure to you. And that, God, as we, as, we, as, we, as we come to terms with this reality that we are no longer our own because we've been involved with the, with the precious blood of Christ, that, God, you would help us, Lord, to be motivated, God, to, to, to live for you in every way, God, to glorify you in everything that we do. That, God, we, we, we recognize that, that what a privilege it is, Father, to be called by your name. What a privilege it is to, to be ambassadors of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, a righteous, holy God. And that, God, with the profession of our lips, Father, but more importantly, God, with the, with the demonstration of our life, a life of obedience, Father, that others can see that, that knowing Jesus, God, there's nothing better than it, Father. And that, God, they would seek to know you just as well. 
God, I pray if there's anyone that is here that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray that God is anyone that's here that Lord has, has, has been content to this point with religion. That God, you help him realize that no, it is relationship that matters. And that God, today, today, God, they would make a decision to say, God, I want relationship. I want you to transform my life. I want you to change me. I want you to change my thinking, change my living, change my walk, change every aspect of my life. God, I thank you that when we cry to you in sincerity of heart, you will hear us, Lord, and you will respond to us, Lord. And you will begin that work in us, Lord, of making us more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. God, thank you this morning. And God, may your word, Father God, continue to challenge and motivate and encourage and build each of us in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.